Picture yourself on a walk. A walk that happened a couple of weeks ago. Maybe you were looking up out into the world, noticing the trees, the birds. More likely though, you were looking at your phone, thinking about your day, your life, your email, whatever. But meanwhile, you were surrounded by people, all these strangers who you pay no attention to at all. Back then, they were just background. Of course, those days are over, and we don't know for how long. We still have to leave the house sometimes, still have to buy food, get toilet paper, take our dogs for walks. But all those people we used to take for granted, the ones we overlooked before, now when we're on a walk, we notice every little thing about them. We acknowledge them, from afar, of course, and avoid them because we have to. I guess you could say that one byproduct of this pandemic is that, at least in our immediate surroundings, certain things come into focus. People we ignored before, all the scaffolding of our former lives, become noticeably absent. Our producer, Mary Knopf, went in search of one such character and got way more than she bargained for. Everybody has the same reason to be on this earth. Do you know what that reason, do you know why you're here? I'm asking you. Yeah, I know. No, I want you to tell me. Do you know why you're here on this earth? No, I have no idea why I was put here. Okay. And that's the problem. From Neon Hum Media, this is Telescope. I'm your host, Jonathan Hirsch. And Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for the foreseeable future, we're going to bring you stories of people who are far away, up close and how each of us are learning to live through this pandemic. Hey, Mary, how's it going? Hey, Jonathan, how are you? I'm good. (laughs) Uh, Where are you? I am inside my car, as per usual. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry to hear that. You should start decorating. Yeah, Yeah, I should. How are you doing, Mary? What are you up to? Oh, I'm good. I'm just trying to put this episode together. Have you been getting out much? I mean, I have been trying to take a walk every once in a while and like, yeah, maintaining, maintaining my distance, but trying to get some fresh air. And that's actually like how I came up with this idea (laughs) was on a walk. (laughs) So tell me what you saw. Well, it's like more about what I didn't see because like I, like (laughs) Pasadena is kind of a big town, but it's also a Mm. small town. And so there's people that you would end up seeing like just around like all the time okay. but you don't like see I mean you hardly see anyone anymore when you're on a walk um and so I was like thinking about one of my favorite people that I would see pre-coronavirus and I was just wondering like where he was now like what is he doing <laughs> and who's that okay so he goes by like a few different names but mm-hmm. the one that's the most popular that you can find like on YouTube or like as a meme is the Pied Piper of Pasadena the Pied Piper of Pasadena. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it sounds like a vocal warm-up. It's very Shakespearean. <laughs> All right, Mary, I'm officially hooked. Let's hop into the story. A few years ago, I used to work at this movie theater in Pasadena. 
And when I wasn't making and serving popcorn or cleaning trash off the theater floor or reflushing every single urine-filled toilet in the women's restroom, I was most likely sitting in the front box office. But occasionally, things would liven up. And this usually came in the shape of some weird local passing by my view in the box office. There was the guy with the huge gray widow's peak and giant bushy black eyebrows who would play the clarinet for hours outside. We called him Dracula. There was also the dancing man, pretty self-explanatory. The lady who would come see a movie with her husband during the day and her boyfriend at night, or so we theorized. There was also the guy everyone called Stabby, which I think is also self-explanatory. And then there was the Pasadena Pied Piper, otherwise known as Flute Dude or Flute Guy or Recorder Guy or any variation thereof. I loved him, Pasadenans loved him, and eventually the internet loved him. The thing about the Recorder Guy is that you'd always hear his music first. I just remember hearing him. So you'd be on the lookout, like, where, where is he? Where is he driving? I want, I want to see him. To put it simply, the Pasadena Pied Piper is a man who drove around town with his windows rolled down, would stop at a stoplight, and then just like shred on one of those plastic recorders, along to like whatever song was playing on the radio. And then the light would turn green and he'd like go off to his next stoplight where he would do the same thing. I also spoke to my brother John about all this. He was even more into the Pied Piper than I was. And do you think he's still doing his thing? Even though like nobody's on the street walking around? He's like a character from The Walking Dead. Or, like, yeah, it's like if a tree if a tree falls and no one's there to hear it. Like. <laughs> yeah, it's you're getting like really like philosophical about the flute dude. Seeing this guy around town was like seeing a freaking unicorn. It made me smile, and it made me not take myself so seriously. And this is why, years later, when I was on a quiet, post-pandemic walk around my neighborhood, a single thought popped into my head. Where is that guy? Because I could really use him. I'll say one thing about isolation. It gives you plenty of time to internet snoop. And honestly, it took like way less than 24 hours and I found him. I didn't have a first name. I didn't have his last name. But I got a phone number. Hello? Hey. Hey. And to my complete surprise, the Pied Piper agreed to be interviewed. Okay, so if you could just tell me um, your name or what you like to go by. Uh, my name, my name is Eric. Uh, you know, they uh, somebody came up with that Pied Piper thing. He is a proud fifth-generation Pasadenan, and to understand his deep passion, to say the least, for playing the recorder, he's been playing for fifty-five years at this point. You have to go back to where it all began. He started playing in the fourth grade like a lot of 10-year-olds do. You have those like music classes where the lady comes and she like gives you a recorder. But unlike most 10-year-olds, his musically talented parents actually wanted him to stick with it. 
But after about two years of trying, when all the other kids had probably switched to the guitar or drums, Eric wanted to switch too. But then his parents got him a very special tutor. Now, I'm just hitting my stride to become a young man, so we say. And here is this demure, beautiful, 30-year-old recorder woman who is teaching me how to blow properly on a recorder. I never stopped um, playing the recorder. And that's an unusual reality. Over the years, Eric kept playing the recorder. It was a joy for him, a passion. But his interest in the instrument started to evolve over time. And six years ago, when he was in his late 50s and living in Long Beach, California, he realized that the recorder could be a lot more powerful than he thought. I was living down in Long Beach, and I went to a little coffee espresso bar. You know, I was reading, and I went up to get some water. There was a little sign next to the water that said, um, water is for customers only. And I thought, wait a second, what does that even mean? So I asked the manager, and he looked at me like I was from another planet, like I was just like literally out of my mind. So I decided that maybe I should take a little action and cause a little social change. Anyway, this coffee house in in Long Beach that had this sign also had tables outside on the little street there. And people would sit out there and sip their coffee, very relaxed. Well, right next to those little tables, which are prime, is a 20-minute zone. A 20 you know, it's a green curb. So I pulled up with my car and I rolled down all the windows and I put on music, loud music. And I played my recorders really loud. I did this for almost a month, regularly. I had nothing better to do because as far as I'm concerned, this is my job to change the social consciousness is what I do. Okay, so after about three and a half weeks, I went to have a cup of coffee, sat down, went into the coffee. She didn't even see me. I walk up behind the manager and while he's faced the other way, I said, you know, if you just took down that sign, you'd never see me again. You see recognition just fall across his face. He sees my finger pointing. He follows the point and he sees water for customers only. He walks over, picks up the sign, walks over to the trash can, drops it in. I just kind of saluted him, smiled and walked out. That That was the beginning of my awareness that we really can change this world. We just need to use the right tools. And one of the tools that I use is the recorder. So that's how I got started. Eric had several run-ins with cops, but he would, like, change up his spot all the time. He would play here, he would play there. And the more spots Eric tried out, the better he got at evading authorities and carrying out his mission of causing social change with the recorder. 
Eventually, though, he moves back to Pasadena and faces a new challenge. It really got to me that everybody had fallen into this telephone dynamic of uh, seclusionists. Everybody was in their world, and they were going to make up their own world, and they were going to live within it, and it was all going to be accessible to them through their little telephone. And anyway, the world was falling apart, is falling apart. We've all noticed it. And now here we are. So when I looked around, and I'm a little bit like the canary in the mine shaft. If I start going to sleep, it means there's probably gas in the mine. And instead, when I start getting a little too vibrant, when my recorder starts getting a little too loud, it means something's up. And so what I was doing was, I found that if I pulled up to a red light, it gave me enough time to break through to the people that were around me. That's how much time I needed. The mass hypnosis that was going on in that little universe right there in that moment. It only lasted for that moment, but it did last for that moment. It lasted for that moment. And that, that's the essence of fear. Theater is rooted in the fact that you were there. You heard it live. It happened right now. Therefore, the best form of communication is when we are together, the closer the better. What I managed to do with the recorder was to recalibrate people for a moment. And that brings me to why I even wanted to talk to Eric in the first place. It's because we've now entered this time of recalibration, and it's not just for a moment. It's clear that this is going to be like a big, big deal. And I really wanted to know what he thought about it. Now here, I want you to understand this. The most important thing that you can ever do is communicate. When you walk into a room full of strangers and somebody looks you in the eye and communicates to you in a way that you really understand, you can have a life-changing experience just by that one dynamic and never see the person again. Communication is the only reason we're able to go forward And it's the only requirement out of humanity. So what we need to do to get out of this fix is to communicate. It seems too simple, but it's true. It's true. To the extent that I'm successful at communicating with you as a human being, maybe I do that through music. Maybe I do that with a plastic recorder at a stoplight. And I'm successfully communicating something in a world that is shutting down from the communication process. Not to interrupt you, but I could also throw out that you and I could figure out a way to communicate together. Like you, if I heard you play and you were using the tool that you used to communicate, and then I sort of recorded you using the tool that I used to communicate. And in a way, that's a version of bridging some kind of gap. So as we wrapped up our phone call, I asked Eric if I could record him playing the recorder. From a safe distance, of course. 
Uh, you did you still want to meet somewhere or what? What do you? What do you? I do. Yeah, yeah. Where you said you go to an, an innocuous location now on your bike, right? Oh, I have, I have. Um, but right. uh, I'll call you when I get um, outside so we can maintain our safe six six feet distance. <laughs> okay. All right. Sounds good. Bye. A big thank you to Eric for sharing his story with us. Telescope is made possible by the amazing, amazing team of producers, editors, and engineers that make up Neon Hum Media. Today's episode was produced by John Asante, Mary Knopf, and Natalie Wren. It was reported by Mary Knopf. Editors are Catherine St. Louis, Vikram Patel, and me. Our engineer is Scott Somerville. Thanks to Matt McGinley for our theme music and to Blue Dot Sessions for additional tracks you hear on this episode. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Neon Hum Media. We want to stay connected to you during this unprecedented time in our history. So please don't be shy. Share your stories with us. Our DMs are open. If you have a story of life in isolation because of the coronavirus that you want to share with us, email us at pitches at neonhum.com. I'm Jonathan Hirsch. We'll see you on Wednesday.